Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Angular Master Podcast. Uh, today, we host the legend of RxJS World, Michael Hladki. Michael, please tell our audience about yourself. What exactly you do and what is RxJS? Hey, Darek. Thanks for having me here. Uh, it's a pleasure. Yeah, um, you already pronounced my name correctly. Latki is uh, maybe hard to spell. So I always recommend that we should stick with Michael or Michael in, in German as my mother tongue is German. And yeah, I am a trainer and consultant with the focus on Angular and its surrounding technologies. And of course, one of the like most exciting surrounding technologies of Angular is, of course, RxJS. Most exciting because you can use it pretty much everywhere. So it is not really tied to a framework. It is not even tied to the front-end technology stack. So a really, really uh, um, good library where you can have uh, leverage its potential in a, in a broad way. This is basically what... What I believe is so, so exciting about RxJS. And this is also the reason why I do this for quite a while now. And I produce a lot of content on that online, a blog about it. I have a lot of talks on general framework agnostic RxJS techniques. Of course, also Angular dedicated a lot. But I mean, as I said, it is really a concept and you can use it everywhere. And this is what I mostly do when when I have fun <laughs> playing around with RxJS. That's perfect. How did you get interested in RxJS? Well, this is a pretty interesting one. Um, I was a backend developer before I focused on Angular. And what really caught me back then was AngularJS. I was already into JavaScript a little bit. I created one, two mid-size single-page applications based on jQuery, what else? <laughs> and then and then I found uh, um, AngularJS very early version online and immediately realized how cool it is. It was uh, basically a game changer in the, in the front end for me. And also the reason why I switched completely to the front end from the back end. And I started to go on meetups. And always were hunting for like the latest, coolest shit out there. And I met Ali, Ali Sharif, uh, Twitter handle Sharif Speed, I believe. He pointed out like, if you're into this, uh, Angular thing, there is even, even cooler stuff out there. Check out RxJS or reactive programming in general. And yeah, I tested it. It was kind of painful to get started with it. Uh, the documentation was terrible. It it was like incredibly hard for me to 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 get something working just to to give one example. It took me I guess one and a half days back then it was uh, RxJS version four to get a button click stream running like this one liner that that you see online pretty fast when you now have a look at the newer docs took me like one and a half days and this was really uh interesting yeah but uh, also motivating to to keep on trying and after some time i was like able to have something working i was pretty proud of it <laughs> yeah this is uh 
was one of my first touch points with RxJS. And since then, with some breaks, I, I use it a lot in pretty much any stack I can. Okay, that's, that's, that's amazing. Uh, but by the way, how long are you using it? Mm. I guess this button click one and a half day uh, experience I had was 2013, 14, something like that. Oh, okay. Um, I used it there a little bit. I I created a, a Morse code thingy thing that I later on turned into a talk. When, when I started to, to give talks, I, I reused this old example from back then. Um, in between, I made a pretty long break, I would say. I focused on um, learning other stuff. And... As soon as I switched to Angular, the, the latest version, I did that pretty early on. I used it a lot. And since then, I also work on uh, on integrations with it. So for quite some time in general and in Angular, uh, since the, the newest version, so the switch from Angular JS to Angular, since then, I really focus a lot on it. And I also focus on integrating it. I came up with the first proposal for a local component state in, in Angular. Back then, this project was called ngx state something when I ported it uh, to, to GitHub and a couple of other uh, integrations based on, on RxJS are out there already. Okay, uh, that's, that sounds really interesting. So what are the main concepts of reactive programming to learn? Well, I had an interesting learning curve. I mean, it is, of course, incredibly hard to like <laughs> switch your mindset from an imperative programmer to, first of all, the functional concept and yeah. then this reactive, this push-based concept. And I tried to explain like the core of, of reactive programming in terms of, of RxJS multiple times, and I... I changed it a lot and I learned a lot. Like every four months, I realized how little I know and, and how much uh, uh, beauty in, in this concept uh, lies around. So I guess today I would, in general, break it down into three different concepts. Laziness, functional programming or functional composition, and this push-based architecture, this push-based iterable system where you can basically iterate or like you would iterate over a static array over some values that are pushed to you over time. So maybe I start with the concept lazy. Let me have a sip of water. Yeah. So laziness was the last thing I understood, I believe. And it happened not quite quite long ago where I really had the, the click moment when I realized how important laziness uh, is for that kind of concept. So when you, when you write uh, uh, code, reactive code, mostly you have a lot of asynchronous stuff. So you want to compose different things together at the right time. And the concept of lazy, like compared with eager, is very, very important here. Let's make a real example of, for example, a promise. 
If you create a promise, it is immediately here, it will immediately fire the request to the backend or to whatever uh, you run in that promise. And yeah. it's, it's eager, it's instantly created. This is one example for eager. Another example for lazy is stuff that only happens if you subscribe to it. So for example, a button will not fire any event if you don't add an event listener to those specific events that you can um, receive. Uh, observables, for example, if you do not subscribe to observables, they will do nothing. There will be no logic executed, nothing, nothing happened until you really need it. Another real-life example of laziness could be uh, dependency injection in many, many frameworks. Like if you work with dependency injection and, and you basically request an instance of a service, the first time it is created, and if it is a singleton service, it will uh, not recreate later on. But it will also not create the service before you request it. Another good concept of laziness. And maybe here you slowly can start how powerful it is because think bigger, you have like hundreds of services. And if you would want to instantiate the, those single ser singleton services all the time at the beginning, it would take some time versus you only instantiate them when you really need it. I guess this is a very good abstract uh, example of where laziness comes into play in, in, in practice. So laziness is one concept. All observables, all streams are lazy. They only execute logic if you really subscribe to them, if you really like need them. The second uh, thing is functional composition. And functional composition, very closely tied to functional programming, means that you are able to chunk up your logic, the business logic, the problem that you want to solve into standalone uh, single responsibility functions. And then you take those single functions and you compose them together in a way more meaningful way, in a way that solves your dedicated problem. But in general, you don't think like on the low level house, you think in what should happen. Like I want to filter stuff out. I want to multiply or add things to an array. Um, you don't really always consider what you want to, what entity you want to add to which array, but you have this problem of adding, for example. So thinking in general behaviors in a functional way and put them together to more meaningful concepts. This is the second thing that I want to stress out here, functional composition. And the third thing is this push-based iteration that you have this push-based architecture. And as we already spoke a little bit about functional composition, you may um, know the array first class functions, array filter, array map, array reduce. And you already know that they are pure. So they have very specific meaning, filtering, mapping, reducing, uh, flat mapping stuff. They always perform logic on a list, but they never know what exactly is in that list. And this concept uh, is now taken to an architecture where you don't have to ask for a value, but values are getting pushed to you. When you are used to work with set and get methods, this is like our 
imperative or object-oriented style that we do. We set a value and we get a value. This is pool-based architecture. And the other stuff is that you subscribe to a change. Like you say, I'm interested in this and that value and all the changes from that value. And then those values will get pushed to you at the right moment when they appear. So you don't have to ask for them. You, you can really trust that if there is a change, you will get notified and then you can process these changes. You can process these changes in exactly the same way how you would deal with these array-first class functions. But you have way more things. You have way more operators than just filter, map, reduce. Uh, you have really a trillion, no, <laughs> but more than 140 different operators at the moment which you can use and reuse to compose your logic. And if you roughly understand those three different concepts, I guess you can you can somehow understand what RxJS could be. But um, yeah, this is maybe a lot of theory. I always suggest like, just to go there and really look at the code and try to compare the code and try to compare the concepts that I mentioned now with your current understanding with your current code base and see and, and learn where the differences are. Okay, exactly. Wow, thank you so much. It's a great answer for this question. I, I will, I'm pretty sure I will uh, rephrase all of my how I explain RxJS every six months. So yeah. I guess this is the current way how I guess I can explain it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so uh, where did you see the biggest benefits of reactive programming? Also a really good question that I rephrase all the time, or like I change my mind a lot on that stuff, I would say. When I started and I had my first click, my first click moment and I wrote the next bigger project, I was confident, I was like really enjoying how clean the code is, how how easy it is now for me to really understand all the complicated stuff that I didn't. I would, I would such, uh, answer that uh, back then with in the front end, like whenever you have a browser and a lot of user interactions that can get processed, like you never know when a button gets clicked, you can just subscribe to the button clicks, you can start an interval, you can compose it together, run your, I don't know, background sync logic, process your HTTP requests and I was really, really stunned by it. But of course, I reconsider my opinions a lot. Today, I would say um, you can benefit the most from reactive programming when you had the click on what it means to think in behavioral patterns. Because if you like step away from one specific use case and you realize that you could basically compose anything with with rxjs your your scope gets even broader uh, i started to use it in the back end node processes whatever processing of data and i really i really enjoyed um all the stuff because i was able to think in general behavioral patterns like what is a filter doing what is a reduce doing this is what I mean. Like I, I was able to understand the problem in those small pieces of logics that I could compose. And this is, I guess, the biggest benefit. If you code uh, in a reactive way, it will teach you sooner or later automatically how to think in these behavioral 
patterns. And this is like, I guess, the biggest benefit that you will get out of reactive programming. Okay. So, but uh, there is a lot of confusion about hot and cold versus multi and UK, Unicase uh, observables. Can you explain the difference? Can you hear For me? Sure. Yeah. Um, I normally use a graphic, so I try to do it now verbally. Uh, we have to imagine like a big square uh, and four different sections in there, and one of those sections is empty. And I will try to explain uni multicast hot and cold always with some real examples and try to stress out what uh, the output is. So a cold unicast observable is what we are used to in RxJS. Everything that you uh, use, let's take an interval, uh, will only execute when you subscribe to it meaning it is cold, it will not perform any logic until you subscribe to that, to that observable. And it is also unicast because when I subscribe a second time to that observable, this interval or whatever process is behind it will get re-executed a second time for the second subscriber. And it will get re-executed a third time for the third subscriber. So, What I explained now is a combination of cold and unicast. Cold because it will not do anything before somebody subscribes to it. And unicast because it will do all the logic for every subscriber separately. This is cold and unicast. We can go one step further. We can ask a question. What does cold and multicast mean? So first of all, what is multicasting? Multicasting means that I have a source and no matter how many subscriber subscribing to that source, this source will like run the computation only one time and then share the resulting output with all the subscribers. It multicasts it to everybody at the same time. Everyone will receive, will receive the same result. You can imagine this as a live stream online. Can everybody will see the same second uh, of the video at the same time. So what could be a what could be a cold multi, uh, multicast observable? If you have that process that we discussed before, and you would add, for example, a share replay operator. So you would share and replay the process. Then every subscriber will, first of all, get the subscription shared. So if I subscribe three times in a row, I will get three times the same subscription back, not starting a new process. If I emit a value, now I go to the replay part, no matter when I subscribe to that, I will get replayed the last value of this computation. And this means like all my values that are emitted are emitted to all the different subscribers. I, I can save computation time and um, it is the same for every subscriber. This is, this is called a cold multicast observable cold because it still will not do anything before the first subscriber 
calls this observable or subscribes to this observable. And now let's go to a hot multicasted observable. Um, a hot multicasted observable could be a subject. A hot multicasted observable is something that will always run the logic, that will always emit values independent of any subscriber. So it doesn't matter if there is a subscriber present or there is, there is no subscriber present, it will always run the logic and always emit. If we remember the the thing back then with the replay logic, so I will always receive the last emission. We could also add this here, and then we would have the same behavior. We would always emit, so we would run the calculation always. This is sometimes good, sometimes bad. And we would share all the computation and also replay all the computation to all subscribers at any point. Whew. A lot of different things. So let me sum it up to like get a baseline out here. Um, yeah. I, I started with this question with four sections on a graphic. So on the lower left end, you have a cold unicast observable. It only does stuff when you subscribe to it and it always re-executes logic for every subscriber. Then you go to the bottom right section and you are with the cold multicast observable where it will not happen, uh, it will not do anything before you subscribe to it, but then it will share, it will multicast the values to everyone. And then you can go up to the top right corner and there would be located the hot multicast part, subjects, for example, but also other multicasting operators. And in that specific area, it will always execute work and it will share it with everyone. So now the question for the left upper part that is empty, and maybe this is a small, tiny uh, challenge for you, just maybe draw it on a paper and figure out why the upper part uh, is empty. The upper part would be, let me quickly imagine it, a hot unicast observable, something like this, yeah? You can try it out. I guess it is a really nice challenge why, why this square is empty. And if you figure it out, I'm pretty sure you fully understood the concept. Yeah. What are uh, the subjects exactly? Subjects? Subjects? Ooh, I did a really, really nice talk on subject. It's called a deep dive into subjects. Um. A subject is a special type of observable. So a subject is also an observable, but an observable that is hot. And so it will always execute no matter if we have subscribers. And this special observable has one addition that makes it really interesting. The subject, the special observable, exposes internal methods. They are called next, error, and complete. Basically, I call this the, the reactive context. Next error complete is what you can get out of, of a stream. And the subject exposes those methods to the public and everyone could go to this subject, could go to this observable and tell this observable, hey, dear little uh, behavior subject, dear little whatever observable, I want to next into you this and that value. I want to error this and that error over your stream. And I want to let you as a stream complete now. And you can really decide that and you can imperatively call the next error or complete methods. A very nice thing uh, if you want to glue 
external stuff together where the contract is not really nice. Um, if you use it in frameworks, you could integrate some very nice state management setup with based on subjects, like uh, one of the most favorite used subjects, I guess, is the behavior subject. Um, and those are just like really normal observables, but with an addition that you can drive them manually in an imperative way. Like you call next, you call error, you call complete, and you set, I spoke about set and get before, and you set a value into that channel. This is roughly what a subject is. There are multiple different subjects that pre-exist. For example, there is the normal subject, there is the behavior subject, there is the replay subject, replay subject, really powerful, but also very heavy in, in size. Um, then we have the async subject. This is like the most scariest one because I never really fully understood where and how can I use that subject. <laughs> there are additional packages to not forget. There is a WebSocket subject there. So a lot of stuff that helps you to uh, imperatively set and get a value to a stream. And those subjects are mostly used in multicasting operators. So because multicasting, as we spoke before, cold, hot, unicast, multicast, multicasting is sharing all that, all that values. And now if you understand that a subject is sharing that, uh, you maybe also will understand what all the different multicasting operators do when you look at their names. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about a little bit about multicasting. What is multicasting? What operators are there? Well, multicasting, like in theory, the theory we already discussed, multicasting basically means live stream, live streaming values to a lot of different subscribers. And uh, if we speak about multicasting operators, there is a set of different operators. There is a a set of multicasting operators that basically help us to deal with hot composition. And I guess it would make most sense if I came up with an analogy. I'm not sure. I mean, I could, I could start to list the multicasting operators. You have yeah. to know, um, now, uh, RxJS seven is released. And in this, uh, in this release in version seven or in version eight, we will see, um, a very nice change, but also big change in multicasting operators. They will get renamed, rephrased. A lot of stuff will get kicked out, but I will stick with the version, um, six, seven ish, uh, <clears throat> operators for now to so don't talk too much about future releases, but we have the multicast operator. We have the ref count operator. Share and share replay is an interesting multicasting operator, but they are not hot. As I explained before, share and share replay will only process if you subscribe to them. And then we have a set of very nice and interesting operators, the publish operators. And with publish operators, we have the publish operator, the publish replay operator and the publish behavior operator. So I teased it already, uh, teasered it already a little bit. Um, if you look at the names and you understand subjects, you maybe get a feeling of what they are doing. A replay subject 
could may, maybe or most probably contain internally a replay, uh, replay subject. So publish replay takes a replay subject. Then there is publish behavior. Publish behavior internally uses a behavior subject. And this is the way how the operators are named. So publish is the general operator that takes a subject, whatever subject you hand over and does its logic internally. And then there are these specifications of those publishing operators, like the publish operator that takes it, that has a replay subject already in the publish operator that has a behavior subject already in. And this is the way how you can understand them. But multicasting operators have one very specific thing. All of them return something that is called a connectable observable. So this concept of connectable observable and also uh, a future operator that RxJS will, uh, will release is called connectable. The concept is that you basically can decide when internally the logic is executed by connecting it, by calling the connect method on this observable. And then you basically subscribe to the logic internally. You start it, you initialize it, you can control the moment when uh, this connect is called. And from that very moment on, it will execute, it will produce values, no matter if there is a subscriber to, to it, multiple subscriber to it or no subscriber. From this very moment on, it will start to publish values. It will start to execute the internal logic and it will also compute that and depending on on the operator if you use a replay publish replay operator then it will also replay the latest computed value for all other subscribers yeah but when can i use them so you can A real-life scenario, a very tiny real-life scenario for yeah. a publish operator could be um, that you want to run initial logic front off and then later on without any subscriber and then later on when a subscriber arrives, you want to share that. Think about um, any single-page application that needs to execute a call to the backend to derive some stats, some data that is needed anyway later on in time. For example, the token request or this or that. Um, and maybe you want to fire this HTTP request. Let's stick with this simple example as soon as possible. So whenever you take that observable, whenever you import that file, you should execute and fire this HTTP request. And later on, when this value is needed, you already fetched it and you can share that value and replay the, the HTTP fetch uh, for the logic that needs it later on. This is a very nice way on how you could optimize HTTP requests, save time um, and also introduce some performance optimizations because you do that already at the beginning and then you just replay the fetched data whenever your single page application is ready or is at that specific spot where you would need it. This is a simple example on how you could use a multicasting operator here. I said like you could use the 
publish replay there. Um, a more technical one. So what I what I did, I created or I wrote a very cool blog post on delayed subscriber problems. So basically, when you have a process distributed over different pieces in your code base, sometimes you need to connect them uh, asynchronously. Sometimes you need to like wait until the view is rendered before you can con con connect other changes to it and so on and so forth. And there, uh, there are a lot of situations where you basically need to run the computation even if there is no subscriber here. So you have to calculate um, a component's local state, for example, even before the view is ready or even if the view is at the moment not interested in that value. You still need to calculate it. You still need to know what the state is, just that you don't hand over the responsibility of like your state computation to the subscriber, in this case, to the view. You as a class or as the service that holds this logic, you need to own the subscription. You need to own the composition of data. And therefore, you always need to be hot. You need to have hot composition. And this is again done, uh, for example, in Rx Angular state uh, library. We used the publish replay operator again. Or if I'm not mistaken, we also use some uh, publish behavior operator there to compute all the input bindings, the initial state, and all other changes that are here even before the view is ready or even if the view is at the moment not interested in it. This solved a lot of problems. This basically also pushed a lot of responsibilities into the library. Uh, users can just rely on it. They will never experience any problems on uh, the, the things that I explained. And this is another practical example on where you can use a publish operator. Yeah. How about error handling? Is there any difference to imperative programming? Well, error handling, yes. So um, if we start with a normal error in your code base that you would try catch, then I guess this is a good start. So if we stick with the, next, with the example where we try catch an error, we may be already realized that if you execute a synchronous code in that try-catch block, that it will not work. It will stop working and try-catch is not, not really able to catch asynchronous errors. You will lose the context. And over time, for example, <clears throat> a promise provides a way how you can handle asynchronous errors with this dot .catch um, chaining operators. Other frameworks provide the ability to catch errors over callback functions. And all those things really changed the way how people used um, error handling when they started to code asynchronously. So in RxJS, there was a change, I guess, in version 5, where they switched 5.5.6, if I remember it correctly, where they switched... Um, to a proper error handling where they said, okay, we in general, no matter if your code is synchronous or not, we will 
make it impossible to use try-catch. From now on, try-catch is just not working for, ex for observables, no matter if the code is synchronous or asynchronous. And we will provide you uh, the only nice way that you should handle errors. We will provide you different channels for that. And you can then uh, listen to the error channel. And this error channel, basically a callback, is called when an error happens, will notify you when there is an error asynchronously. So no matter what execution context you have, if it is a asynchronous code, synchronous code, you will get errors all the time on this one spot. And it was a very nice um, modification in the code, a very nice unification of how they deal um, with errors. I guess this is in general the difference to imperative programming, or not imperative programming, but why you cannot really handle it in the same way as you handle synchronous code. And the callbacks or this dot chaining Uh, or also all the other error handle operators is the imperative versus functional part of this concept. Yeah, but what are the error handling operators? So looking about error handling operators in specific, there is a set of operators that you can use, but you can also um, create your own processes. I mean, Error handling is a really interesting part because I explained this uh, funny moment where I spent like one and a half days to get a button click running. So I had another funny experience when I started with, uh, with reactive programming. I caused an error. And whenever I caused an error, I had to restart the whole application. <laughs> so I had also big learnings because I tried like, I guess two days straight without not a lot of breaks to like understand how can I reuse this observable even if there is an error and so on. So error handling is interesting. Let's start with the error handling operators. Um, you can use operators to throw errors. For example, throw if empty or on error resume next. Those are like creation operators that throw an error to a specific um stream or just use another stream when an old stream errors, then um, you have the catch error operator. So the catch error operator is basically a way to handle your error, take your error, make some decisions based on the error, and then maybe re-throw it, maybe not, maybe you want to provide a new value to a stream. So catch error gives us the opportunity to like not emit the error in the error channel, but provide a next value, a next last value. And then you could also uh, complete your observable. And this is like a functional way, a way where you can use an operator to handle this. There is also um, some static way, some, some way of statically implementing error handling that is ongoing. There is the retry and retry when operator. There is also repeat when, which is not really error handling, but you could, in combination with catch error, could use that to, to make proper error handling. There is also repeat timeout and timeout with that will not handle, but also throw the error. So you have a set of operators that 
produce an error for a specific situation, for a specific, specific behavior. And there are uh, operators that help you to catch that error for a specific behavior or even restart the process, retry the process or repeat the process for a number of times until the observable really dies. And if the observable really dies, we already know that it is a, it's a one, a one way product. How to explain? Like if it has an error or it completes, it is basically gone. You cannot reuse that. Same as a promise. If you execute it, you cannot say execute your HTTP request again. You have to create another promise that re executes. Yeah. So uh, you explained if an observable error stops working, how do you deal with error handling when you don't want to stop the process? So, yeah, um, this very funny experience, today's debugging, how to reuse an observable. Uh, if an observable errors, is, it is basically gone. You cannot reuse it. You cannot do anything. And back then, I had like a process that was error like contained a snippet with error prone code code that maybe maybe not will throw an error and i had to handle that because it it was like planned that an error could happen there multiple times and i had to deal with that and this took me quite a while it also um, pushed me into the direction of read more about operators read more about higher order operators flattening operators and you can basically um, trick the, the fact that an error observable is not reusable by just like, first question, like what, what concepts are, right? Uh, biggest benefit, functional composition, you think in these behavioral patterns. So if you understand that you have these behavioral patterns, you don't need the same observable that error just recently but you can uh, really create a new one behavior so values that will flow through that new observable will do the same as they did with the old observable that errors so the only thing you need is you need an operator that basically takes your value and whenever your value changes whenever you receive the new value it returns a new behavior it turns this value in a new process and this process then can die can complete but when the new new value arrives this process get restarted you create recreate a new observable from scratch and just restart the whole process again um, a very easy way is you can use one of the flattening operators for example you can say whenever my value changes i take this value i take merge map and then i can run for example synchronous composition and this composition could fail or could go well and no matter which of those cases uh, appeared the next value as it is merge map it will uh, it will recreate a new observable from scratch will basically drop the old one create that new one and you don't really feel that you can really have nice error handling with catch error inside it can complete but the next value will basically recreate the whole process and this is one very nice trick that i figured out uh, on how to use 
logic or how to use flattening operators to get an ongoing uh, stream that is really not stopping when an error occurs. Yeah. Can you explain what are the flattening operators? So flattening operators, now we basically start to open up other categories, other concepts, the concept of a higher order function of a higher order stream, but flattening operators in general um, deal with processing other processes. So you mostly don't process a single value and map the single value to another single value, like multiplying a value by two would be a first order transformation. No, most of the time flattening operators basically perform operations on other streams or compose other streams together in a specific way into one. They can take multiple observables and flatten them one Uh, flatten them down into one. Like you would have an array of arrays and you would want to merge all of those values together into one array. This would be also the array flat map uh, uh, situation. Same can uh, get applied to reactive programming. But here we have one difference. Like all our processes are asynchronous. So there is not only a flat map operator, but there are multiple different operators that deal with specific situations. Um, there is an exhaust map, a merge map, a switch map that act completely different over time. Like one of them would just stop the previous process. One of them would restart uh, or, or uh, basically wait until the other process starts and the other one would basically uh, move all together, merge all together and will not really deal with all those asynchronous stuff. So this is basically a rough, um, a rough overview of what flattening operators are. I could give a quick... Big intro in, in roughly what, what, what infect operators are out there, uh, flattening operators. And I would go with a set of, I guess, well, they could be quite a lot. If, if I put all of them, I will start with the set of merge and then I will go on like as I have it in my head or in my lists. I always structure them and group them. So we would start with merge. There is like the, There is the creation method merge. Then there is the merge with operator now renamed in the latest RxJS version from merge to merge with. Then you have merge map, merge map to, merge all, merge scan. Those are all operators that are dealing with observables uh, in a way where they compose all the time-based logic just together without respecting any specific rule. Then you have concat, concatenation operators. You have again the creation method, concat. Then you have concat map, concat map two, concat all. And then you have some other concatenation operators that are not really named like that. You have start with and you have end with operators. And those are also concatenating values together, but there is no concat in the name. You could name <laughs> concat start or concat end. I don't know. Yeah. Sometimes naming is uh, is hard, especially in RxJS. We have also the switch group. So we have switch map, switch map to switch or on switch scan. 
switch scan is a new one, like added pretty late on in the library. Um, then we have exhaust operators. We have the exhaust map and exhaust uh, all operator. Exhaust all is pretty cool because exhaust all was named before exhaust. And I'm not sure if you uh, remember all the words that I used before. I named merge all, conquer all, I switch remember. all. Of and course I remember, yes. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, sometimes there are a lot of operators. And this, this one operator exhaust, like this yeah. was the name exhaust, did the same as the switch all, conquer all, and merge all. So I basically suggested and also implemented the renaming of this operator in RxJS and it got released in version, in the latest version, I believe. So now exhaust all is another one. And maybe let me compare them a little bit. So when merge is just merging all processes together, concat, as the name tells us, will wait for the previous process to end until it starts a new one. And if you start multiple of those, you just queue them up. You wait for the first one, then you start with the second one, then you start with the first third one. And this gets a really long chain of processes that wait for the first for the previous process to end to get the next process started. Then you have exhaust and switch. And let's start with switch because this is a little bit more known. So switching logic means whenever a new process or a new value arrives, um, I want to stop the previous process immediately. Like I don't want to wait until it ends. I want to stop it immediately and restart a new process. And then we have exhaust that can com be compared to switch. And this means if I have an ongoing process running, instead of when a new value arrives, stopping it, I will just ignore the new value. I will ignore all new values as long as my process, my internal process is ongoing. And only after it is done, a new value arriving can cause new execution uh, of the internal process, but not while it is running. This is how I would compare those four together. Yeah, we could start to talk about expand and other operators that help with flattening scenarios. But I guess for now, this is quite a lot on the table and, and enough to answer the question, hopefully. Yeah, exactly. And the main question is, where can I use flattening operators in, in practice? Um, you can, I guess an, an easy way to think about that is from the user interface. So let's start there. Um, you have a search box and whenever you change the string, you want to search for a new result. And basically the best thing that you can do in those scenarios to avoid race conditions is to stop the previous HTTP request or at least ignore the previous result and only focus on the recent changes on the recent search query that you entered. There, switch map is used. If you have a lot of different HTTP requests to, um, to receive data that are like not really related to each other, you can just merge all those results together. You don't really respect the order in time. Um, another example for exhaust map is a refresh button. You have a refresh button, you click the refresh button and you want to fetch all the data from the backend to display your huge table with all the columns and all the information. And 
if the button is clicked, you have this fetch ongoing. And if the button is clicked multiple times in between, you fetch the data, you ignore it. Because why should you refetch all the data again in such a short time? You will definitely ignore that. You will wait until the results enters the client and then we'll just display it. And you, you don't really trigger subsequent HTTP requests uh, over this button. So this is, um, I guess, a way how you can look at it from the user interface and, and single page uh, front-end application side. Another way you can look at flattening operators is, for example, in a compiler. So pretty much every single page uh, application framework out there has a build step. And uh, as we all want to have convenient ways to code, like a good developer experience, we have like a watch mechanism. Whenever I change the code base, I trigger the rebuild, I refresh the page, you know. We all know that processes and we all love that processes. And if you think about that, so whenever you type something in your code file, you trigger a build, you start a new process. And this process has a start and an end. The end is obviously refreshing the page and displaying the new build application. So imagine you type and you code frequently, you would trigger a lot of rebuilds. You will trigger for every small change that you do in your code base, then you switch file, then you click save, another change, another change. The build process takes some time. Sometimes it takes seconds, right? So this would make a big mess and uh, a lot of computation. It will slow down everything because you do too much. So what's the trick here? Uh, you use a very specific or a variant of, of, of exhaust strategy. You say, when I type the first change into my file system, because you watch the file system, right? You trigger the application build. And then you do nothing until the build is done. So even if I go on with coding and I introduce more code changes, um, the build itself should not get re-triggered. You should just let it run and so on. And when the build is done, you could basically refresh, but the last code change that you had on your keyboard should trigger another build. So the last build, you wait while it is building and ignore stuff. But when the build is done, you want to have the latest changes if there are any and do another rebuild. And this is a way, or this is done, this logic is implemented in nearly all uh, uh, CLIs, not always based on RxJS, but of course the principle, the building block, the logical behavior is the same. This okay. is a one way how you can look at flattening strategies, not only from the front-end development, but here we were in a CLI, which was building an application. And slowly, slowly, I hope that we, we all realize that it's true. We all think about uh, behavioral patterns and not specific implementation details. So we can apply the knowledge of flattening a process, not only in the front end, not only with button clicks, not only with HTTP requests, but also with other stuff anywhere else. A node script that compiles uh, TypeScript to JavaScript or that compiles 
any style format into CSS or whatever. Like we can really look in a very broad way to all those pro problems because we are able to think in these behavioral patterns. Okay, so let's play a game now. <laughs> <laughs> let's imagine a situation that is no operator that fits for a specific problem, for my specific problem. What should I do? If there is no specific, yeah, for example, this very specific way of um, exhausting values, but also taking the last one, yeah, um, is a very good example because here we cannot really just take this um, this operator. We be, we really would have to create our own. Uh, higher order operator out of it that implements the exhaust logic and also uh, implements the additional piece like this replay behavior at the end uh, that I mentioned before. This would be a a good way uh, or a good situation where we cannot use that operator. Then we should we should create our own custom higher order operator for that. So what, what is a higher order operator? A higher order operator. Um, I teased it also before. Um, there is another concept in functional um, programming, which is a higher order function. And um, I always try to give some relations to people that are used to object-oriented programming. So in object-oriented programming, there is um, the design pattern of a factory. Uh, and you can also have a factory that not returns an, instant, an instance, but a function. So a function that returns a function. This is a very simple and, and naive way of explaining a, a higher order Uh, operator, a higher order function. So a function that takes a function and returns a function, a function that takes a value and returns a function, a function that deals with functions. And if we understood this concept, we could also uh, talk about operators like um, an operator that basically takes other operators or observables instead of single values and composes out another result. So it operates on a higher order. It composes together the, uh, the on a higher order. So uh, what is a higher order composition then? Meaning uh, like composing... So you... <laughs> so a normal observable returns single values. I have an observable yeah. of button clicks and then this is a click event. I have an observable of values and this is a value event. I have an observable of strings and this is a string uh, emission. And they never change their shape. And there is also an observable that is higher order. This would be an observable out of observables. So an observable that does not emit a single value, a string or something, but an observable that emits another or multiple other observables, which in turn emit values, strings, clicks, whatever. And 
when you deal with those situations, with those observables, with those ways, you have to, you, what you do is you compose on the higher order. And then all our higher order operators come into play. And I mentioned some some very cool ones already before. I mean, we maybe know new switch map, merge map, and that stuff. But I also mentioned switch all, merge all. And those are really cool higher order operators that help us to compose um, higher order observables together into one. And maybe a little bit too technical for a um, podcast because no, I guess I technical. should really uh, use some <laughs> graphics and so on, but I do my best. So composing observables out of observables is done with higher order operators, switch, yeah. merge, or... Uh, also, switch map is basically a higher order operator. And uh, it deals always with composing observables together into one. So, uh, the next question is, can I create a custom operator out of other operators? This is basically the default way. So... You have the pipe method on an observable and this pipe method takes other operators. And you can also uh, take a look at the signature. An operator is a function that takes an observable and returns an observable. So your custom operator could be just your function name that takes an observable and internally it says observable.pipe. And then you just add your filter, your map, your reduce. You can make a multiply by two observable with that approach. You can make an observable that only processes defined values that are numbers or at least parse, parsable to be numbers and so on. And you can really use existing operators like the operators that are in the library itself, compose them together, give them a name and use it as custom operator okay so when should we create a new operator from scratch so not composing in from uh, it out of others just creating from scratch um so our exhaust our specific case for exhaust map would be a good example when you should uh, or when you are maybe forced to implement it from scratch um If you want to influence other like lifecycle hooks, then just next error complete. If you want to hook into the subscription, if you want to have internal caching, all that stuff basically requires you to not only reuse um, existing operators, but also... Um, create, like in this operator, create a new observable itself, hook into all the different um, situations that you can hook into in, a, in an observable, the teardown logic, the subscribe logic, the next, and the propagation. And you can, you can then really hook into all the different situations you want. It's a little bit more complicated, but it is a little, it is way more rich in, in what you can do. And this is the way to go, like creating your, custom operator based on a new observable is the way to go for this exhaust map variant that also re-triggers a last emission after basically the process is done. 
Okay, so what about testing and RxJS? Is there a big difference? It depends. So um, I would not say there is a big difference related to RxJS, but there is a difference in how you test synchronous and asynchronous code. This for sure, and this independent of any reactive programming concept or not. But as reactive programming mostly is asynchronous, um, we can also handle it in the same way uh, how we test others. Like we can like really make some blocking, some hard static times in between different next calls. We can check uh, in the subscription of an observable if there is the value entered. We can also work with the done callback that many testing libraries like Jasmine, Chest and so on provide us. But there is also a really, really cool and uh, interesting way where you um, can use marble tests to test the, um, the behavior or multiple different situations <clears throat> of RxJS in a way where you draw like marble diagrams um, yeah, we did not sketch it, but you basically have a timeline out of dashes and you add the values at the frame, you think in frames, in ticks, at the tick where you want it. And this is a very nice and elegant way to provide a rich set of different negative and positive scenarios in testing. Okay, so uh, what are variable tests? So... Like um, the easiest way to think about it is your custom operator. Your custom operator is just a function, very pure. Um, and your operator like processes a sequence of events and it should filter out events, it should subscribe, it should cache, it should replay, it should, it should do a lot of stuff. And with marble tests, you basically can sketch all those scenarios in very little code, you just draw how the scenario should look like when in time the subscription happens, when in time the unsubscribe happens. And you can also test that uh, with the test scheduler of, of RxJS. And the, testing your custom operators in that way is really nice. I also did um, experiments where I tested services, stateful services, and so on. It also worked out quite well. And I also had some bad experiences, of course, with testing, with marble testing, and with testing asynchronous code in general. Okay, so when I should use them? You should, I mentioned it already, you should use them um, when you have a lot of different scenarios, like different, um, you have one scenario where no value is emitted, you have one scenario where a lot of values are emitted, and marble tests allow you to specify every case by a case in a very nice and visual and very, very accurate way, with little code. Uh where are the limits of uh, marble test? The limits of marble testing, ha, 
So marble tests are based on the test scheduler. The test scheduler is based on the virtual time scheduler and scheduling in general is a principle baked into RxJS. This means that um, the values that are emitted are scheduled over some logic internally. The test scheduler basically helps us to schedule a series of events in a row, but not taking up the real time. Like you could never test a three months period uh, you, in real time because you don't want to wait three months until your logic <laughs> executes. And then you have to wait another three months until it executes a second time. No, this is not how you want to test it. So the test scheduler helps you to deal with time virtualization. All the asynchronicity is taken away. You have full control of every single tick of every single frame. And this is perfect. You run into limits when you have asynchronous code baked into your, um, baked into your operator that you cannot configure. For example, if you have a hard, a static delay of 300 milliseconds, if you have a a promise inside, if you have anything else statically and not configured um, inside that is asynchronous, it will not work. So the limitations are definitely, you always have to have a way to replace the scheduled logic with the, with, uh, with logic that is that, that the test scheduler in RxJS is able to mock. There, there is a lot of information like a lot of issues open on RxJS on how to deal with that. I also have some writings, of course, not published because it's in the drawer with blog posts that I may never have time to release. But yeah, um, I realized that we should, we should give some more um, information about the limits of testing for sure. Uh, okay, so... The last question. A lot of stuff, I know. <laughs> no, the last question about, yeah, it's a lot of stuff, a lot of great stuff. Last question about RxJS. Uh, RxJS released version 7. Can you give us a quick overview of the changes? Yes, of course. Um, I remember a very nice conference. It was NG Poland or JS Poland last or Thank you. one and a half years ago. <laughs> And there I had a keynote on the latest version, RxJS 7, a look ahead. So now we could quickly uh, sum up stuff that was pitched there and stuff that is already released and stuff that they are currently working. So all the fancy stuff with uh, bundle size and so on is already released. So RxJS reduced a lot in bundle size. RxJS also internally changed a lot of stuff, how they chain subscriptions, how they run internally. There was the pitch that scheduling concept will get reworked. This is uh, not yet in, also not really started, not really like the closest thing on the roadmap. Um, renaming of multicasting operators. Back then I spoke a lot about how multicasting operators will get reshaped, will get renamed, will get um, adapted in logic. This is already in progress. There is a pitch, there is a concept out there. There is a lot of discussions 
uh, uh, present in the issues and they are currently working on that, like to integrate a smooth transition to uh, the new set of multicasting operators. They also already released a huge improvement in typing and there will be way more in the future. So they really have a, a very nice run uh, there at the moment. And um, maybe one quick last thing that I could mention is in version eight, there will be, um, I guess, mostly all of the renaming done. So I guess their plan is in version eight, all renames land in version seven. And in version eight, there is like the next breaking change where all renamings that are not deprecated will get like removed. Also pretty exciting because then we can really get rid of even more code in our in our code base. I am currently uh, working on a crawler that helps me to understand what is changed in the library. When did they deprecate? When do they plan to remove it? And uh, basically archive and collect all those different deprecations is a, a tiny funny side project that I do at the moment. Okay, so... Uh... Our podcast must not be complete without the human part. So, Michael, uh, you are a very hard-working person. What motivates you? Well, curiosity, I would say. So, of course, sometimes you have to do your job uh, or study or whatever. But um, I realized, like, Curiosity and like self exploratory learning in, in stuff that really drives you is the thing that works out best. I believe this is a hundred percent for everyone on earth. Like if you're curious about stuff, nobody needs to tell you that you should read up or you should try to understand it. You will do it uh, automatically because you are curious. You have like yeah. an intrinsic motivation to, to do that stuff. And uh, this is like one, I guess, best suggestion to, to motivate yourself. Be curious or I mean, be curious. It sounds easy. I guess you cannot really decide if you're curious or not. Um, curiosity in general is my personal motivator. I, I would sum it up like that. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Do you study IT or do you learn um, programming some other way? Um, yes and no. So I have a pretty uh, funny uh, series of, of educations, plural, <laughs> Uh, and also different funny jobs. I spent a lot of time in the, in the opera uh, when I was young, uh, not, not singing or so on, but just like walking around as like dressed, uh, um, statist. Then I also helped a lot in building the stages. Like we had a, a huge outdoor opera where I, where I grew up. We built like huge cities out of wood that really looked realistically but were empty uh, behind the scenes so this is where i spent most of my time you never tried really to, to you never tried to think no back then um i was too um how to say closed up to share my beautiful voice um 
Nowadays, it changed. As you remember, whenever I'm at NG Polling Conference, uh, before the conference starts, I go to the technicians and sing some, uh, some a cappella stuff just to bump me up a little bit and make some fun of my not existing singing skills. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah uh, but uh, back to the opera stuff and to, to round it up. Um, After that, I did a lot of like, I learned electrotechnical things. I basically graduated there. Then I switched, uh, uh, not switched. I added another education where I could get a higher degree. Uh, this higher degree included a little bit of IT stuff. Back then, I was already aware of how to create websites and so on because different story, but at some point I got like, forced to do that because my electrotechnicals ah, long story short i knew it already uh, <laughs> second education led to study it uh, web technologies to be more specific and there i finished the study until bachelor stuff i started my own company and this is how i ended up where i am now Okay, so uh, you are at DG GDE. What does GDE in Angular mean? Does it mean you are a part of the uh, core team? No, GDE means developer, Google Developer Expert in Angular, and there are a lot of uh, Google Developer Expert in, in Angular out there. Uh, we all have like the same uh, benefits. We share. Um, We have like monthly meetings where they update us on, on some changes. <clears throat> we can have some free, um, let's say we can, we can see their changes even before they are released. We can discuss this. We can improve the integration of that stuff. We are in Slack channels together. Um, there are some events, I guess, related to the GDE thing, but I'm definitely <clears throat> not in their team. I'm just as anyone, just a part of this uh, community and these channels. Perfect. Have you always dreamed uh, to of being a programmer? Nope. Nope? Nope. So um, the first job that I had in mind and there where I was seriously interested was getting an uh, what's the English term make running experiments crazy professor inventing stuff uh, like I wanted to invent stuff invent stuff something new whatever uh, inventing of course <laughs> Also things that I learned, it's not possible because it's just like exploring, uh, finding them. You cannot really create something new. Everything is already here, I believe, in a way. And you just mix them up to new ideas. So this is how I think about innovations or in inventions. Um, but like if this was my, my, my earliest job wish, I believe being a programmer is something like that. I mean, of course, in between, I did other funny stuff uh, in terms of inventing and experimenting. But with code, it is easier. It was easier for me, especially when I started to visualize my stuff. So from the moment on, when I realized how cool it is to create something that you can click and interact, that displays you things that work, that has mechanics that interact or that run in the background, that do stuff, this was like a really, really... 
a changing moment for me, I realized that you can, without lead, like you only need a laptop and some file that you can type in, right? And then you can create a website, an application, some mechanism, logic, a tool chain. And you don't need a lot of material. A painter, an art painter, always needs a canvas, needs paint, needs the brush, needs like so many things that you have to reuse and rebuy all the time. And code is basically like not uh, uh, related to matter. And this is, I guess, cool. Yeah, but if you are linked to my experiment invention thing. Okay, but if you are if you are uh, if you are going to be someone else, not a programmer, who would it be? Well, um, like I have multiple different fallback plans if my IT career will not work out, and one of them is um, like. In English, I would translate it as well master. So I believe I would be a perfect well master. You know, a well is like this hole in the ground with water in it. And a well master has very special skills. First of all, a well master will be able to find a well with these like wooden sticks, you know, this magic stuff. Then you can like build the well there because you found it. And you build it in a very special way. You like build the wall out of bricks of this well from top to bottom, not from bottom to top. And this is so fascinating for me that I believe I should get a well master if I would not be a programmer or if my IT career will not work <laughs> out at some point, I, I, I definitely will become a well master. Okay, that's amazing. That's amazing. Is the programmer a profession or a state of mind? For me, in, or in particular? Yeah, for you. Um, I would say, I would link it to my earlier answer with like, what was the first motivation to do a job or what was the first job? Um, it's a motivation. Like I love to fix problems, to create new stuff, to work on a library, make a button nicer, introduce some background syncing, write the CLI. It is, um, it is not like, um, it is my job, but it, it makes a lot of fun. It, um, it helps a lot to express myself. It helps a lot to be creative. I can mix up a lot of different concepts, combine them to new ones. And I, I really enjoy it. So I would say for me, it's like more the state of mind thingy. Okay. Uh, next question is about soft skills. What soft skills should a good programmer have? I guess the best skill a programmer, like not, not trainer and so on, but a programmer should have is explaining a problem. Explaining your own problem. As a programmer, like I always say, my job as a programmer is introducing and fixing bugs. <laughs> They're not here. I introduce the bugs and then I have to fix Thanks. the bugs. Yeah. And how you do that? Uh, most of the time you hammer your head against the screen because like one and a half days, the button click is still not working. <laughs> What should I do? So uh, I guess I learned, my, my biggest learning was I need to learn to express the actual problem. I need to give 
contextual information on my specific problem as good as possible. So without the context, nobody will understand what this specific code snippet here is for and will do. So I learned to give contextual information. I learned to give information about the problem itself. And I also uh, learned how to explain what I don't understand. And where exactly in a chain of explanations I stuck and I made no progress. So this is like, I guess, the best soft skill that I, that I have as a programmer. Uh, I can explain my own problems in a very good way. Okay. At least I try it. Yeah, so explanation is like a, is equals to communication, yeah? So uh, if we are talking about uh, communication, what, you, what should you remember when talking to your internal or external client? What you should, what you should consider uh, in communication? Well, I I have a lot of stuff that I consider. For example, I try to remember to speak slow. Like this is what I always do when <laughs> I communicate with somebody. <laughs> Sometimes there is a lot to tell, a lot to know. So I structure myself. I. Uh, I also, like, beside all the technical stuff, maybe let's switch to away from structure and repetition and whatever. I try to understand the situation of the other end. Like, why are they calling me? Do they have a problem? Are they under stress? Uh, and so on. I also try to do that on my end. And communication, I guess it is very helpful to listen. Yeah. understand the other end like think a little bit like what what in what setup they have at the moment is it a stress is it cool are they happy at the moment or not and then also communication i guess the biggest part that you can do in a, in a vital and good communication is also listen big big chunk is listening yeah what would you advise to a young programmer be curious Okay. If it if if it if it is something that we can decide, be curious. Be curious about the stuff. Experiment. Dig in. Find other people that help you. There are a lot of people out there that made most probably the same mistake, and there are really a lot of them that are really willing to help, to communicate, to push you to the next step. Uh, this is what I would advise: experiment and find other people that experiment in the same direction. Michael, last question. What would you like our listeners to remember from today's conversation? From today's conversations, we talked a lot about technical stuff. So shameless plug, we run a workshop, RxJS workshop pretty soon. This is something that they should definitely check out. It is like... Um, A lot of the things that we discussed is included with exercises, nice slides and so on. Um, maybe, um, maybe they could remember the stuff about communication, right? 50% listening and so on. Uh, I hope that the main learnings, the main concepts helped. Like a lot of times we talk about implementation, detail, hardcore, nerdy stuff. The general, the, the laziness, functional composition, push-based push iterations, uh, all those 
fundamental concepts and the biggest help uh, thinking in behavioral patterns. This is, I guess, if they could rethink all of the information again and see if they understood it, if they can think in that patterns, this would be, I guess, the, the, a very cool learning from this session. Okay, Michael, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for this 19 minute of great knowledge. It was amazing to meet you and I hope to meet you in person very, very soon. So one more time, thank you so much. Uh, if thank everybody you. wants to um, learn more about our next workshop with Michael, just go to uh, the website workshopfest.dev workshopfest.dev Michael, one more time. Thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure.